Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Margaret Pendo, and today I have the honor of introducing you to Andrea Briscoe. Andrea graduated this past May and is currently working as a family law paralegal to eventually become a lawyer. Andrea was an active leader during her time on campus, ranging from having LLS positions, working in as, as an RA, and leading clubs as well as pursuing honors. I'm super excited to have her on the podcast and officially welcome to my dearest friend, Andrea. Oh, yeah, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm really excited to kind of get some, get the inside scoop of what you've been doing. So let's start um, kind of at your time at Franklin. I want to kind of talk about some of the roles that you held on campus. Um, uh, obviously, like I mentioned, you worked as an, a resident assistant. And actually, at one point, we were building partners for the residence Alva, which was very fun. And I was wondering if you could give some insight on what it's like to work on a team of 10 other students from different places around the world, but that all serve Franklin in one specific way. Like, how was that? You know, what what did you think about that whole experience? Yeah, I, I'm going to be honest. Being an RA was one of the hardest experiences of my life. Um, to this day, I still am processing the lessons that I learned while being an RA. It's such a rich experience that I don't think I'll ever fully grasp how important it was to me. And also, I think it was the most difficult multicultural experience I ever had because you're dealing with facets of people's lives that you don't typically deal with when you're just a regular student. Um, and also working on the team that is so multicultural and everyone has different leadership styles depending on what cultures they're from and what role models they have. And so that was definitely really difficult, but also was an amazing learning opportunity. And I, I just think in general, it was so hard, but it was also one of the most meaningful things I've ever done. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. I definitely wouldn't say it's for everybody. But if it's something that you're interested in, I would say give it a shot. Because I didn't even really know what an RA was before I became one. And it ended up being one of the best things that I ever did. Yeah. And for those listening who don't necessarily know what a resident assistant is, would you mind giving a little brief introduction of what resident assistants do? <laughs> Russell's going to be so mad because I don't remember my elevator pitch anymore. <laughs> um, but basically, being an RA at Franklin means that you are, one, helping to manage a residence hall. Um, it's either you or one other person. So I was lucky to have Margaret with me for one year. Um, and we help do like make sure the maintenance is happening. And if people have any questions about where to get resources and things like that, you kind of check in on the people who live in your building so they can know where to get the sort of resources that they need in terms of like emotional help or if they need to find the dining hall and things as simple as that. And then we also 
helped pr- plan programs. Um, I got to plan a lot of really fun programs throughout my time at Franklin. And we do a super fun thing called being on duty, um, which was definitely the hardest part of being an RA for me. Um, where we have the duty phone that any student can call if they have any sort of emergency. And we are the first line of defense to help make sure that person gets help. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely a very all-inclusive job. (laughs) Like, it has a wide range of things that we do. But I agree, it is a very interesting and big learning curve. (laughs) Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) So I wanted to kind of touch on another position that you had on campus. Um, You were a writing and learning center scholar where you tutored in writing, history, and time management. Um, And I wanted to kind of know how you got involved in that and how was that experience for you as well? Yeah, so I got involved with the WLC Writing and Learning Center because my freshman year, my first year seminar was with um, Professor Ann Gardner. Um, and she was the person who started the Writing and Learning Center, and she felt that it was a really important place for everyone to go and learn no matter what grade level they were, no matter how good they thought they were at writing, everyone was able to learn something in the WLC. And from that semester on, I was always in the WLC, either hanging out and doing work with people, working collaboratively with other students on writing pieces. And uh, at the end of my first year seminar, Professor Gardner told me that she thought that I had real potential in terms of my writing ability, which was something that I had never thought before. I used to like fail essays in high school. And so I thought I was a really bad writer until I got to college and realized that I did have gifts that I could give to people in terms of learning how to write and express themselves. And so I applied originally as a French tutor. (laughs) um, And they were like, I don't think you're good enough for that. But (laughs) but you are you look like you could be a really good writing tutor. And um, Professor Gardner, who has passed away, but was still alive at the time, um, said, I really think you should give give her a chance. And so I became a writing tutor my sophomore year. And it ended up being my favorite thing I did at Franklin. It was my favorite part of every week. I really loved working with the students. I worked mostly with freshmen uh, who were really just trying to figure out how to do college. (laughs) Um, And I saw a lot of myself in them when I was like a confused freshman and being able to help them not only acclimate to academics, but also the the academic culture that we had at Franklin because all the professors are so different and all the majors are so different. And um, I liked it so much that when I left Franklin, I, I'm still a private tutor because it's just something that I, I loved so much. Working with students is just such a joy. And yeah, Ugh. I, I lo- literally, I wish I could still be there. It's just such a great collaborative environment. Yeah, no, it definitely, like, it shows. I wish you guys could see her right now. She's literally glowing as we speak about this. And (laughs) Andrea is not self-proclaimed, but I will give her the plug of being one of the most efficient time managers that I've ever met in my life. And I'm hoping (laughs) to steal maybe a piece of advice for listeners on, 
you know, how to effectively manage your time, but also how to have the courage to reach out to resources like the WOC and tutors on campus um, to ask for help. I wondered what you would say to people, you know. Yeah, for sure. When I was a freshman, I was worried that if I went to the WLC, people would think that I was stupid or that like I couldn't do things myself. But then I realized that literally no matter if you have a PhD or what, everyone can improve their writing and everyone can learn something from working collaboratively with someone on a a piece that they're doing. And also everyone has their strengths and weaknesses. I almost failed calculus. (laughs) and I, I really needed help. And I was like, I guess I got to go to the WLC. (laughs) Um, And so just remember that everyone can use some help on everything that they're doing. Nobody's perfect. And you shouldn't feel like the WLC is a a remedial space. It's a collaborative space for everyone to learn together. I really like that idea. I yeah, <laughs> it's very really true, especially at Franklin. Like everyone wants to build each other up for the most part, and and you never really think about that in terms of academics. But the WOC is definitely like definitely showcases that on a really tangible level. And then just kind of going back to time management, if you have any advice to people struggling with time management, obviously I can leave your email down below if they want to meet with you. <laughs> But just kind of on a surface level, do you have any advice on how to prioritize your time effectively through college? Yeah, for sure. It's funny because like most of my job now as a paralegal is helping my lawyers manage their time and like telling them how to manage their time. So very much like the the skills that I learned in time management in college are like very applicable to my work right now. But I would say for sure you need to really think about how long all of the tasks you have take and then prioritize based off of that. So one thing that I did in college and that I still do now in my job is I will say, when is something due? And then I'll put a date on the calendar of when I need to start that task so that I actually do it before the day before (laughs) and I'm not rushing and it ends up being crappy. So I definitely like to have everything planned in my calendar. So I have to think, really think through when I do things. Yeah, totally. And her calendar is usually very beautiful from what Oh yeah, multicolored. Always, always color code everything. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely, the aesthetics are also important, you know? Yes. (laughs) And And like I mentioned, you were involved in a lot of different aspects of the Franklin community. Like you had a really unique opportunity to gain multiple perspectives on what it really meant to be at Franklin. And something super unique that you were involved in was uh, you were vice president of the International Students of History Club, otherwise known as ISHA. Um, And you also were able to be an editor of Carnival, which is the academic journal for students of history, but also people up to the PhD level. Um, And you kind of started their presence on Franklin again. And I was kind of wondering what that was like, what went into kind of almost reestablishing this club on campus? Yeah, so I've realized over my life that the things that I do on a whim that I don't really know what I'm getting myself into end up being the best things that I do. (laughs) 
and I kind of had no idea what Isha was and I had no idea what Carnival was but I was like I don't know it's not kind of sounds cool um so along with um Mariah Simmons and Simon Bruins we figured out what Isha was (laughs) and we tried to bring the presence back to Franklin. So we had um, club meetings that involved mostly watching historical documentaries and talking about the impact of history on today's world. And then uh, Simon, Mariah and I were all involved in Carnival, uh, the International Students of History Association's academic journal in various aspects. <laughs> um, Mariah and I were both editors and Simon was an author. And that was a really cool experience. I'm not going to lie because we got to work with other students of history from all over Europe. And I think it's just really cool to be able to have the more, the wider collegial atmosphere. Because a lot of times, Franklin, you'll get into this Franklin academic bubble and you won't necessarily think about how your discipline is being taught at other universities. And so being in the Carnival Project, I was able to work with people from Serbia and from Germany and to learn what they prioritize in their history educations. And also I, as an undergraduate student, was editing the academic papers of people who were like, on the PhD level. (laughs) Um, So that was like a really cool feeling. Um, They mostly chose me to be an editor because I'm a native English speaker and it's an English language academic journal. And most of the people who submit to it are not native English speakers. So I had an edge. (laughs) Um, But I also, I focus on American history and political and legal history in my discipline and they really needed someone who had an expertise in American history because again, a lot of Europeans don't do that. So yeah, that's really cool. And kind of a more general question, but a curiosity of mine, like how was it kind of being like initiating something on campus? Like, was it hard to kind of bring this club back to life from like a structural perspective Um, From a structural perspective, no, it's really easy to start something on Franklin's campus. If you want to get something going, just tell Russell Martin. (laughs) He's like, yeah, we'll make this happen. Let's go. Um, And you just have to like fill out a form and then SGA will give you funding and you can start having events. Um, I think the hardest part was trying to make people excited about history (laughs) Um, because a lot of people think history is boring, but it's not. History is so cool. It's so exciting. And um, it was hard for me personally to get people excited about history because I get excited about a lot of things that people find boring. So they're like, oh, Andrea is excited about everything. (laughs) But um, we made it work. We had a, a small little group, but. I think it was an awesome time and I really hope that it continues after we're gone. Yeah. I mean, I think that the Franklin community like ebbs and flows. And so who knows what will come of something. I think as long as it adhered to the community at hand, which I think it did, you know, I think it's a success in its own right. So congratulations. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, And so kind of going into your time at Franklin again, more specific to 
you and your graduation plan. Um, similar to another podcast guest, um, Alex Page, you left Franklin in December and went home to write your thesis in parallel with actually working. And you worked and continued to continue to work as a social media strategist for the Unitarian Universalist Church, which is very close to your heart. And I was wondering if you could give some insight on what it means to be a social media strategist. And also, how was it kind of seeing your faith in a more structured and kind of organizational way? Yeah, so I think, especially since I graduated during the pandemic, it was really great for me to be able to write my thesis at home, um, especially since my thesis was mostly on American history and American legal history. So I had a lot more resources here. And I was also able to get a job and um, make money to save for law school. And uh, being a social media strategist is really weird. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I had an internship uh, while I was in college at a synagogue where I was a communications intern. And I helped them with their social media and that sort of thing. And uh, so I had this perspective of how it might work in a religious context, but to then apply it to the religion that I was raised in, Unitarian Universalism, it was kind of different because it's a very different culture than Judaism. And also, Unitarian Universalist churches tend to be a lot older. So trying to make social media work for people in their 70s <laughs> um, is a very different uh, viewpoint than, you know, even the social media work that I did at the synagogue or the social media work that I did at Franklin um, as an RA. And so... It was a fun challenge. I, I only work part-time with the, the UU church, um, but I really like that I get to serve in that role because I, especially since it is still pandemic times and I, I went into that position during the pandemic, there wasn't, they weren't able to meet in person. So virtual ministry was what they needed to do to make sure their community stayed afloat. And I was able to really help aid in that. And hopefully in the future, it'll make it so that church is more accessible for people who can't go on Sundays because they have to work or they're like physically unable to go and things like that. So it's been a fun time. I'm doing a really fun project right now where I'm interviewing the elders in the community and um, sharing their stories on Facebook. And I, yeah, I really like that. I'm actually getting to use some of the, the things I learned in the history program at Franklin about how to do um, oral history interviews. So that's been really fun. That is really exciting. And are these recorded or where are they published? So I can link it in the podcast description. I, pu I published them to the Facebook page for the Unitarian Universalist Church of Delaware County. Um, I don't record them uh, because a lot of older people um, are a little timid talking about their lives. Um, but I take copious notes <laughs> as I'm interviewing them and then I work collaboratively on how they want to present their their life story to people that's amazing I will definitely link that in the description that's really really cool true historian at heart yeah <laughs> and 
kind of, I would like to hear a little bit more about what it was like working, but also writing your thesis. Like you mentioned, if you want to give a little plug into what your thesis is about, that'd be cool. But like you mentioned, your thesis was involving American history, American legal history. And so what was it like working in kind of an unrelated field, but also writing your thesis? I actually really liked that they had nothing to do with one another because then I was able to take a mental break from one in order to do the other. And um, so my thesis was on the National Committee for Amish Religious Freedom. (laughs) Um, It was a combination of Amish studies and American legal and political history. And I really struggled to find sources and resources in order to write my thesis when I was at Franklin, because it's really a very American specific topic. And also the Amish don't have the internet. So I needed like physical books and physical publications that I could only get in the United States. So a lot of my first semester working on my thesis when I was at Franklin was just thinking about what I wanted to do. And I honestly wouldn't have been able to write the amazing thesis that I was able to do had I been at Franklin because I needed the sources. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I really liked having the distance because the thesis is such a big project that I think if I was taking all of the classes and like doing the campus life thing, I don't think I would have been able to finish it. I don't know how people do it. Like I was like setting aside like full days to do my thesis and I, it was still so hard for me. So it it worked really well for me. I don't think it would work for everyone, but I was really happy to be able to do it the way I did. Yeah. And actually, so since you graduated with honors, didn't you get a small budget in order to kind of be allocated for resources to use for your thesis? Yeah. So I was given, um, I think I used about a hundred francs to buy various books about, um, you know, Amish things. (laughs) And then also you can use that budget to go to libraries and um, other like research visits. So uh, had the pandemic not closed libraries, I had a plan to go to the Harvard Law School library to do some research, but I wasn't able to do that, unfortunately. But that is um, a really amazing thing that the honors program does and has. And it's actually the main reason I decided to do the honors program because I wanted to have that budget to do my thesis because I knew I wanted to do something that would be very out of the box in terms of Franklin standards because my interests don't necessarily align with the interests of many people at Franklin. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's really cool that they give you, I mean, so much freedom in choosing your topic, but also actual tangible support to expand your knowledge. I really like that idea. And also, I think, like, how was presenting your thesis through Zoom? Yeah, so I was so nervous to do my thesis defense. I was like, it was at 6 (laughs) a.m. because I had the time difference and um, everyone had to, like, coordinate when they were going to come to the defense. So I just had to do it whenever other people were doing it. I also had a full-time job by the time I presented my thesis. So I was, like, literally ready for work, like, presenting my thesis before I left. Um, And it was kind of weird because, like, the first part of a thesis defense is, like, a presentation. And so... 
I was just like basically speaking to myself for like 20 minutes. <laughs> um, and then I, then they ask you questions about your thesis and things that they don't understand, things they wish they saw, things like that. Um, and it was very anticlimactic at the end because usually after, after we defend our theses, we go off and party with our friends. <laughs> um, but I just went to work. <laughs> Fair enough. But also, I mean, like, it was, it was a big relief because it was this big project that was like the last thing I had to finish before I could just focus on work. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely think I took a very different route than most Franklin seniors writing a thesis, but it's, it's what worked for me. So yeah, I mean, that's the key, really just f- being able to find your niche and thriving within there. So. And the fact that Franklin allows you to do that, allows you to like really personalize the experience you want to have and make for yourself is, it's just amazing. Like, I'm so happy I was able to do that. Yeah, it really is amazing. And it's funny because obviously we're talking about more of an academic context, but I think that theme is really prevalent in all aspects of Franklin. Like you oh, yeah, sure. create exactly what you want, you know, and go with it. So that's really exciting. But like you mentioned, you have a full-time job and you are a legal assistant paralegal at Suhu Law, which is super exciting. Congratulations. Like huge. Thank you. <laughs> and give us a little insight of what your day-to-day looks like as a legal assistant paralegal. Yeah. So I'm called a legal assistant paralegal, which is different from a lot of other people who are either paralegals or legal assistants. I work at a very, very small law firm that only has two lawyers. And so usually bigger law firms have both paralegals and legal assistants. Legal assistants do administrative work. They do scheduling for lawyers. They take care of organizing their lives, things like that. The administrative work of uh, the law. And then paralegals help draft things to go to court. They sometimes accompany lawyers to court in case they need someone to do legal research last minute. I do legal research for the lawyers. Um, So I, since we work at such a small firm, I do both. And I also am kind of a personal assistant for the head lawyer. My day-to-day is very different every day. And that's honestly why I love the job so much. Because on any given day, I have no idea what I'll be doing. I just get to work and maybe I'll be driving to court that day to drop off some stuff. Or I'll be talking on the phone with therapists. (laughs) Um, I do literally anything and everything. And it's so cool. I'm learning so much about what it means to be a lawyer when you're actually serving clients rather than being a corporate lawyer, which is what I plan to do one day. I want to be a lawyer that works directly with clients. And as the paralegal, I do get to work directly with clients too, um, which is an awesome experience. I work in a family 
law practice, which is not something that I ever saw myself doing because it's mostly divorce law. (laughs) Um, And I have never even tangentially had interest in that, but I was just applying to like literally every open position and they were the only people that got back to me. (laughs) And they were like, we want to hire you. So I was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. Um, So I, I had to basically learn what divorce law was on the spot um but yeah it's a it's a really cool a cool field um which sounds really morbid but <laughs> yeah you're like is it wrong to celebrate divorce live <laughs> <That's> yeah <laughs> well kind of looking forward a bit like you mentioned you eventually want to be be involved in law as a lawyer so kind of what is your five-year plan, or at least like in the coming months, years, like what is on the agenda for you, not only, you know, with your studies and with your career, but also personally with your beautiful little dog, Sage, (laughs) not too little anymore, but yeah. So like, just what's, what's next for you? Yeah. My baby puppy's all grown up. Um, Yeah. So I plan on working as a paralegal for a year or two to save up money to go to law school because in the United States, law school is very, very expensive. Um, And so I want to be able to be in the best financial position to go in there because I plan to go into public interest law, which is a type of law that doesn't make a lot of money. (laughs) Um, And so if I have a lot of loans, then I'll never be able to pay them off. And essentially, what I want to do with public interest law is I want to help further incorporate restorative justice into the American criminal legal system. Um, And so I'm looking at a lot of law schools that have robust uh, restorative justice programs and things like that. I'll probably stay in the Northeast. It's where I grew up. It's where my family is. Um, And actually, my dog, Sage, um, she's kind of getting into the restorative justice realm because I'm training her to be a therapy dog. And one thing that therapy dogs do is they go to court and they help people who are either testifying or are um, people who are victims that are um, seeing the perpetrators of their crimes get sometimes get off, sometimes get put in prison. And so restorative justice is a way to help victims and perpetrators be able to move past the trauma that has happened. And SAGE will hopefully help people do that process. So, yeah. That's actually kind of exciting to think that you could be, you know, defending someone and then SAGE is next to you also supporting that person. Oh, yeah, for real. (laughs) That's the dream. (laughs) Honestly. And so for those who don't necessarily know what restorative justice is, could you give a little insight of what that means? Yeah, so restorative justice is a way to think about criminal law that recenters the story of the victim. So the way our legal system works currently in the United States is after a crime has been committed against you, all your autonomy is taken away. And basically, it becomes the state versus this person who committed the crime. And so 
it also means that you're not able to actually process and heal from the trauma that you've experienced. And the person who committed the crime is not able to atone for what they did. And that leads to longer sentencing. That leads to people going in and out of prison for longer because they're never able to actually process and move past what they've done. And people internalize thinking that they're a bad person, that they're a criminal because that's what society is telling them they are and they're never able to heal and grow. And so we have a punitive legal system that just wants to punish people, but restorative justice is a way to actually be able to have people learn from their mistakes and be able to help their community in a way that they never knew they could before it's really exciting that is gonna be a really interesting way to kind of enter law because i like you said i feel like it's almost going against what has been super ingrained in our system so that'll be yeah it's it's about completely blowing up the criminal justice system (laughs) so that's my goal (laughs) (laughs) you're all Well, I look forward to all that comes and I'm excited to kind of hear and see what what you end up doing. And thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank and you for having me. I'm yeah. so excited to be here. Of course. Well, we will definitely speak soon and I wish you the best. Thank you. Bye.